0: Good morning. Well, we're now a few weeks into the new year, and maybe you're a resolution or goal-setting type. Maybe you're the type who kind of has a, a word for the year. Or maybe you do none of those things. Regardless of what your approach is to these sort of arbitrary milestones, it's often around this time of year where we like to get A little bit self-reflective. I know for me, I've stopped making those kind of grandiose uh, resolutions that I'm inevitably going to quit in a month's time. But I do frequently start thinking about the person that I've been and the person that I want to be. For many of us, this is sort of a a normal cycle during uh, these weeks in this season. We reflect on things like whether we've lived up to who we want to be vocationally, or as a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, a child, a follower of Christ. Because there is danger in going through life unthinkingly. And I don't know about you, but these past two years, it's been... Easier than ever to just go through life unthinkingly. There's been no shortage of distractions from families finding themselves primarily at home with very little time to themselves or maybe even just too much time in isolation. And it's made you prone to numbing yourself with screens and books and media or other things. We end up discovering that we are living in such a way where we barely know ourselves. I believe that this can have a profound impact on our relationship with God and how we view God. John Calvin put it this way. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of Of self. Or in the words of St. Augustine, O Lord, let me know myself. Let me know you. My hope this morning is to allow God to show us more of ourselves. And as always, we allow the Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures to be our guide here. We're gonna be reading from Psalm 139, which I am sure for many of us here is a familiar uh, passage. And I want us to soak in these words this morning. I don't want us just to read them and kind of just let them, let them pass by us. I'm not gonna hurry as I read it. Perhaps this is an opportunity to close your eyes and listen and absorb what God is speaking over you. Whether you are experienced in sitting and being still before God, or whether this is something that you struggle with, I invite you now to pray with me as we prepare to hear from God's word. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit that in your light we may see light. In your truth we find freedom. And in your will we discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with With all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the lights become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred in for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Today we are exploring the holy art of confronting ourselves. And while I don't want this sermon to be a series of qualifiers, I do want to start by saying that the intention here is far different from the goals of the pop psychology that you see on the magazines of a grocery store checkouts. This is not about new year, new you. This is about finding ourselves in Christ. This is about God searching the depths of our hearts and being open to God, renovating and restoring the broken places of our lives. As well, this is about allowing God to lift up the good, to affirm the parts of our lives that are, in fact, on the right path. Rich Velodis, in The Deeply Formed Life, says these words. He says, oftentimes, our prayers are, Lord, show us your glory. It's the great prayer of Moses in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18. But to complement that prayer, we need David to show us the way. We also need to be praying, Lord, show me me. Most of us want an awareness of God, but what we need in addition is an awareness of self. Psalm 139 could be summed up in this way. God knows everything about us, but we don't know everything about us. David starts off by acknowledging that God knows our habits. He knows our patterns. He knows so much about us that David says, it's too much for me to comprehend. I can't understand how much you know about me. There's this beautiful mystery here. It is good to be known by God, amen? It is also good to know that we are in the presence of God even when we are alone. We've been talking about the difference between alone and lonely with our daughter, Iris, lately. Uh, recently, we did some renovations in our basements, and um, our, ba- our house is a bungalow, so it's a smaller area for us to live in in general. So for all of Iris's nearly six-year existence, we have always hung out on the main floor. But now that the basement's done, we have a rec room down there, we find ourselves uh, kind of going there after she goes to bed a little bit, and she's been struggling with that. It's like she feels, even though we're like 10 feet, it feels like we're quite far away. She'll often say, I'll be lonely upstairs. I'm going to be all lonely. Um, or one time she, I found her crying. I kind of went into her room to check in on her and she was crying. And, and, and I said, do you want me to snuggle with you? And, and she said, um, no, just let me cry lonely, she said. <laughs> and it's like super cute, but also super sad. <laughs> so we started talking about the difference between being alone, the physical state of being around no one else, and lonely, the feeling of being alone. And we often reassure her that we are so close to her, whether we are in the living room, which is again about 10 feet away, or in the basement, which is just 10 feet the other way, you know? Our house isn't that big. We try to reassure her her every time. The psalm here taps into that reality that we are never alone in a good way. That though we may feel isolated or lonely, we are assured that God is with us. This psalm also taps into something even deeper, I believe. When David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's a sense in which David seems to want to be able to flee. He wants to escape God's presence, but he can't. When we allow ourselves to be known by God... It can feel scary sometimes. We're going to talk more about that in a few moments. David trusts that God is for him and not against him. And he reminds himself that he was reverently, fearfully, and wonderfully made. There is safety in the arms of a loving father who knit us together in the womb. And and it seems as though this feeling of safety allows David to feel free to share with God, some of his fears, some of his struggles, some of his anxieties, and this next section that um, maybe felt a bit awkward and ugly as we were reading it, um, he says, it kind of changes the tone quite a bit. He says, if only you would slay the wicked he gets very real. (laughs) He expresses his hate for those who malign the name of God and he wishes that God would do something about it. There is this zeal for God as if he wants to be God's defender. And we don't really pray like that anymore, do we? There's something very raw and honest here though about it and possibly even something imperfect about what David is praying here. It's something that we have to grapple with as the text doesn't really give us like a value judgment it just simply David's unfiltered prayer. And it feels a bit full-on for our modern sensibilities. It's hard for us to know the exact context in which David wrote this. Who knows what was going on in David's life at when he wrote this? And so um, it's just this difficult feeling that we have to grapple with. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. David returns to the central theme of this psalm, and he prays that God would search his heart, that God would reveal his anxious thoughts, that, he would, that God would show him the errors that are deep within, and that God would lead him in the way everlasting. In other words, that God would lead him into a full and abundant life, a life where David isn't being dragged down by all of this hidden baggage. And I believe that the final few lines inform what came right before, I don't think David wants to be held back by this hatred and anger that he expressed a few lines earlier. It's like, almost like as he says it, he's casting that off to God and saying, God, I just need you to take this from me because I can't do anything about it. He wants to be free. My hope for all of us is we allow God to search our hearts that we want to be free as well. Now, it's not very helpful to just say, you know, just ask God to search your heart, you know, without giving you any sort of practical sense of how to do that. And so that's what I want to take a few moments now and do. There's probably a whole bunch of ways, but these are two ways that I thought of that I think are are important and uh, will kind of give us a bit of a framework to work from. So the first way is to allow God to help us examine our actions and our reactions, why did we act or react the way we did when that person said that thing we didn't like? What judgments did we make? Why did that emotion come up for us in that way? This is something that we can create uh, space for at the end of each day or maybe the beginning of each day. But either way, it's some, this is something I believe that needs our daily attention noticing our actions and our reactions. It's easy to unthinkingly just go through life, but the reality is, if we're having a very intense emotion come up, there's a reason for it. If we're reacting super impatiently, we're acting that way for a reason. If we react defensively and judgmentally, why are we doing that? One of the many reasons why my wife is a better person than me is that she is a compassionate driver. I don't know about you, but when someone cuts me off or does something stupid, I don't like go into road rage or anything. I'm not, I'm not like that. I just usually just assume they're a terrible person though. Anyone else? Am I, I, I can't be the only one, please. I just, I just, not, okay, so I'm, I'm a really bad person then. <laughs> like I just, I assume that they're the lowest of the low. My brain automatically goes there. Lindsay, on the other hand, will be like, Justin, maybe they're just having a bad day. Like, they probably just have a lot on their mind. It's fine, you know? Like, <laughs> it's, This is a silly example I recognize, but it's worth asking, why did I feel so slighted by that person making that mistake? Did I feel like they were personally doing that to me, like they were out to get me? Am I so self-centered that I would think like that? Why are we so bent on characterizing people in buckets of they're bad or they're good, when so often the truth about each other is far more complicated. We love vilifying people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I saw another example this week of the collective world losing its mind over a Twitter post without enough context. Maybe some of you saw this. Check this out. So there's a a guy named John Reyes. He's a um, did anyone see this this week? Yeah, okay. So um, he's in Manitoba. He's in politics in some manner. I'm not quite sure exactly what, but anyway, this is what it says. Even after a 12-hour night shift at the hospital last night, my wife still has the energy to shovel the driveway. God bless her and all of our frontliners. Time to make her some breakfast. And I was like, I read this. I was like, oh boy. Like, this guy, this guy is going to get roasted. And indeed he did. And so... Um, you might jump to some judgments as well. I, I did a little bit. I, now I didn't go on some tirade or anything. I just showed it to my wife and I was like, what a goof, you know? Um, I think it was like the next day, um, we heard a different side of the story from his wife. So his wife, uh, showed the next picture. So his wife, she chimes in and she says, all I wanted to do was shovel. <laughs> And, and then even then, people jumped on that because that account, that Twitter account, had never really been used before, um, and it was just set up a few months ago. And so everyone was like, oh, he's just trying to save face. He just logged into his wife's account and posted as her. And again, people were wrong. <laughs> so, and I will admit, my mind went there as well. So, in a detailed Facebook post, which I'm not, I don't have a screenshot of that, but in a detailed Facebook post asking people to chill out... His wife explained that she had, she had been on a 12-hour shift and that she got home after wearing an, an N95 mask all day and was appreciating the fresh air and just wanted to shovel her driveway that no one else in the house was even up yet. And that her husband looked out the window. He heard a strange sound and was like, Oh my gosh, my wife has all this energy and she's shoveling the driveway. Like, wow, what an amazing woman she is. And you know, had the, he wanted to be kind and like say what a wonderful person she is. And then this happened right now. I think he probably should have had the foresight to think what was going to happen. And when he posted that, but in, in a way, his naivety is a little bit sweet. <laughs> this whole thing obviously varies, uh, very, uh, matters very little in the big picture, but it illuminates something about our world and Christians are not exempt from this. Our reactions to little things like this as well as bigger things, it matters. It matters. How do you react when someone criticizes you? When someone offers constructive feedback, when someone makes a suggestion, when someone offers help, when someone mischaracterizes you or maligns you. I mean, I think about this guy John Reyes, and he was he took it all in good faith. I was like, what a guy. Like I I, I really appreciated that the way that he didn't like resort to bullying or being, you know, antagonistic. We can't control how other people treat us. We are only responsible for how we react. And if we're reacting in a way that is irrational, unkind, unloving, ungodly, that means it's time to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to show us what is underneath that. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing to those broken places that are reacting so poorly to even mundane situations. Another way that we allow God to search our hearts is to examine our inner monologue. To examine our inner monologue. This gets even more personal. It gets gets really to the heart of all of this. On a daily basis, what are we saying to ourselves about ourselves? There are some streams of Christianity that are borderline gluttons for punishment. The picture that came to my mind as I was writing this was like those monks at the beginning of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they just keep like, you know, walking and they're singing like a hymn or like a Gregorian chant, and then they smack their heads. I think there's a picture of it there. It's a bit dark, but maybe you can see that. Um, Yeah, that was just the picture. I I know it's just silly. That was just the picture I had in my head though. What does it say about ourselves? when our default is assuming that God is angry all the time, that God thinks we're failures, that God doesn't like us, that every mistake we ever make is worthy of punishment. My question is that, is that the heart of God the Father for his children? If we are constantly self-critical, constantly self-critical of how self-critical we are, constantly self-doubting, if you're rarely able to see yourself in any positive light, it's time to allow God to speak a different story over you. This is a little bit of my own journey. So as I was processing uh, much of this with my therapist a number of years ago, one of the things, and she was a wonderful Christian woman, still is, um, and she was so insightful as I was working through a lot of my own baggage here. And she told me to write out 10 good things about myself. I don't know if you've ever done that before. It's a bit of a weird exercise because you're not used to that, right? You're not used to like talking about yourself and like it almost feels like you're boastful. But in this case, it's actually just saying, you know what, there are things that I'm good at. You know, here's, here's a list of 10 things that I'm, and they're like, it could be like, I take care of my dog. You know, like something as simple as that. It's, it doesn't have to be anything magical, right? I personally found that super helpful when I would, you know, spiral into some really negative thought patterns. But I recognize that for some of you, you might feel a bit uncomfortable with that. And that's okay. Maybe you're not there yet. As a start though, maybe have a list to remind yourself of what God says about you. That you are a child of God that you matter to God. You are forgiven by God through Christ. You are God's wonderful workmanship. You are not defined by your successes or failures. You are a new creation. You are a friend of God. You are set free from sin. You are an heir to the king, and therefore you can boldly approach the throne of God. You are loved without condition by God. Those are not my words, but those are God's words for for you. Allow yourself to hear and experience who God says we are rather than who you say you are. There's a deep heart work that can happen here if we give full reins of our heart over to the Holy Spirit to sit and reflect on why we feel the way we do about ourselves. I recognize that as I say this, that we live in a world that has shifted toward a full celebration of oneself without any restraint or self-critique. And Christians should be rightly cautious about that sort of approach. The reality is that we should temper our view of ourselves in light of how Christ sees us with the recognition that we sin and that we have further healing and restoration to do. Both of those realities can be true at the same time. There are some barriers, though. We've already talked around them a little bit, but I think that there are at least three barriers. There's probably more, but I'm going to just touch briefly on three as we close out our time together of teaching this morning. I call these three heart-searching killers. The first is this, busyness. Busyness. This should be a surprise to no one. Busyness is not a personality trait nor is it something to be inherently proud of. Yes, there are times and seasons where that is our reality, where many of us have full lives, especially these days. But it is more critical than ever then that we take the time to slow down, to breathe deep, to listen to God, to allow God to do this heart work. It's not going to happen if we don't let him do it you need to find what works for you in the season of life that you're in. You know, some of you are families with young kids who get up at all hours of the night and me telling you to get up half an hour early is going to evoke feelings of dread. (laughs) And I do not aspire to make you feel dread. I don't want to put that burden on you nor do I believe God does. Do what you can when you can. For those that are privileged to have a schedule that allows for it, I do think that earlier in the day or later in the evening, depending on whether you are a, an, early, an early bird or a night owl, one thing I will say is that it isn't an excuse to, not, to say, I don't have time. We're all given the same 24 hours. Rather than saying, I didn't have time, we can say, I didn't make time today, but I can make time tomorrow. Don't be hard on yourself about it. Be gentle with yourself make time. The second heart-searching killer is compartmentalization. For those unfamiliar, that just means that we just put all different parts of our lives in different buckets. This is my work bucket. This is my family bucket. This is my friend bucket. This is the bucket for when I'm alone. And those buckets never intermingle except for the fact that they do. In our minds, we think we think we can separate these things. We think that they don't intersect, but as a whole person, as an integrated person, the way that God literally designed us to be, a person uh, that has allowed Christ's light to shine in every area of their life, we'll see that everything in our lives is connected. The person we are, the actions we take when we're at home, at work, when we're alone, they all say something about who we are. But it's hard to get there when we don't allow ourselves to see them all as connected, right? If someone lacks integrity at work, they don't simply lack integrity at work, they lack integrity, period. So a part of our coming before God is to know that all parts of our lives are intrinsically connected to the other. We cannot splice a wall around one part of our life and expect God to do work in all the others. It doesn't work like that. The last killer is fear. Fear is a huge barrier to allowing God to search our hearts, as the psalmist says. David says, where can I go from your spirits? This is equal parts a comfort and fear, depending on your outlook. It's comfort because God is with me no matter how far I stray and it's fear because God sees how far I'm straying. This goes back a little bit to the story that we tell ourselves. Behind much of our unwillingness to look within and allow the Holy Spirit to begin the healing uh, work within us is fear. We are scared of what we will find. This, over the years, was a hard one for me personally. For years, I was paralyzed by fear. I didn't like myself, to be honest. So why would I want to plumb the depths of myself when I knew I wouldn't like what I was going to find? I was afraid I'd like myself even less or even worse than that, discover that God liked me less than I thought God liked me. It's only natural to have that fear. I don't think it's right, but it's natural. Renovating our hearts can be scary, but there's no way to grow if we don't. If any of you have ever done a renovation project on your home, anyone? Handful of you, yeah. Um, You'll know how scary the demolition can be. Why is the demolition scary? You don't know what you're gonna find exactly. Beneath the surface, you might find something that's gonna cost you a lot more than you thought it would. Our hearts are kind of like that too. Sometimes what we find is going to cost us something. It's going to mean we have to address something painful. It's going to require us to dig deep within, to allow God to do that deep work in our lives. Jesus is called the great physician because he brings healing to us. Any physician knows that sometimes to bring healing... There must be temporary pain. Whether it's resetting a broken bone or surgery to remove something harmful, sometimes there is pain before true healing can take place. And naturally, this is going to cause some fear. When the scriptures call us to be courageous, it's because there's actually something to be afraid of that we have to push through. We need to get to the place where our desire to experience the freedom and fullness of Christ is greater than that fear. Maybe something that you can do this week is to consider, and by consider I mean literally write it down, consider the cost of giving into fear or allowing God to do a work in your life. Consider actually journaling that out, writing that out, saying, God, what would it take if I did that? What would I lose? What would I gain? So why does any of this matter? In one word, it matters because of freedom. Freedom. In Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened to a yoke of slavery. The cross of Christ compels us toward freedom. And that includes freedom from our inner chains. The burdens that we carry and sometimes bury deep down in the recesses of our hearts. That is not what God desires for us. God calls us to freedom. Imagine knowing yourself fully and truly. Allowing the Holy Spirit into every corner of our heart so that God can do that necessary revealing and restoring and renovating. It frees us. It frees us to experience the fullness of what God has for us. It frees us to love God and to love neighbor as ourselves. And when I think about loving our neighbor as ourselves, I go back to this idea of what it's like when we truly know ourselves and can truly love ourselves in the way that the scriptures call us to. It frees us up also from mission, to do the work of God. That the more we know ourselves, we, the more we know our strengths and our weaknesses, we're no longer paralyzed by fear or doubt or uncertainty. And all of a sudden we find ourselves able to do the work that God has called us to share the love of Christ with those around us. We're able to do that in a new and profound way when we know ourselves in the way that God has revealed I want you to imagine what it would look like for the people of God to truly be free in this way, to truly know ourselves and to truly know God. I want to take a moment just as we wrap up. I want to provide an opportunity for us to just do this right here, to just take a moment to be still and to know that He is God, to allow God to search our hearts. So I'm going to read those last two verses from Psalm 139, and then we're going to take a moment of silence and just hear God speak that over us. Sense what God is saying. My one encouragement, because this is something that I experienced and was a fear for me, was I often only heard, when I did this sort of thing, I, only, I often only ever heard words of condemnation. And I realized after time that that actually wasn't the Lord. That when we sit before the Lord, Yeah, there might be times where sin is revealed. There might be times where that happens. But what I was hearing was basically, God doesn't like you, you know? That was what I was hearing. And so if you're hearing things like that, I wanna just say to you, that is not of God and you can rebuke that in the name of Jesus. So let's take a moment and experience God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's take a moment now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing your heart for us this morning. I pray that this work wouldn't end here, but that we would go into into further depths of your love for us, your desire for us to be healed and whole and free so that we can do the work that you have called us to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.